Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 56 of the Camino Voice. On this episode, I get to speak to the director of Fusion. Please welcome Rich Crouch. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice podcast, where I interview folks around Camino Island and beyond. If you want to stay up to date on events, businesses, and even hear a little history of this area, Subscribe to this podcast and share with your friends. Thanks for listening. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. On this episode, I got to speak to Rich Crouch, who is the director of Fusion, um, which is a fusion of two different elementary schools' music groups um, so that they can have a bigger group together as well as perform at more events. Um, So anyways, we get into uh, all the... Kind of Rich Crouch, how he got started, um, how he got to Camino, and um, how, despite not wanting to live on Camino, ended up staying on Camino and living in Camino and being very involved in the community here. Um, but uh, for those who may recognize the last name, Lydia Crouch, her, uh, his hus- her, his wife, wow, really bad there. Um, anyways, uh, she was on episode 18, so go and listen to that as well if you haven't already. Um, but anyways... Got to have a great conversation with Rich, uh, learn a lot about how he's kind of jumped around the school system. We even learn about clowns, which I'm terrified of clowns, So, um, but we still learn a little bit about them too. So anyways, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Rich Crouch. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Commander Voice. Today, I'm here with the director of Fusion. Welcome to the podcast, Rich Crouch. Hello. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. You're very welcome. Nice to be here. All right, so before we get started, tell us a little bit about Rich. Wow. Um, I was born at a very early age. Um, I'm a second-generation Seattleite. My parents were both born in Seattle. Um, I'm the third, their third son, and when they were, uh, found out they were expecting me, which was, as I found out as an adult, a surprise, um, they had to move out of Seattle into Edmonds to uh, get, out of, get to a bigger home. So I was actually born in the Edmonds area. And we were living there. And when I was three years old, my dad went to work one day and had a heart attack and died. And so my mom was there in the suburbs with the three, five, and seven-year-old boys. She didn't drive. She had a car. She had a house. And so she had to kind of make a life. So um, next two years were pretty rough for her. She did learn how to drive. Um, She, in the process, crushed our bikes in the garage. But other than that, we survived. (laughs) And then uh, two years later, she met my stepdad. We met my stepdad, and we all got married. And so as I was starting school at five years old, we moved back into Seattle and had a, a new dad, a stepdad. And um, he was a good guy. He was, he was a good guy. But uh, so we were living in Seattle area, growing up there. And um, when I was in third grade, so about eight years old, he heard about Camino Island and actually had some friends at places up here. And we'd, we stayed at Camel Beach one time and... Uh, we would come up and visit, and he kind of got hooked on the island, and um, so he found some property. So he bought five acres, and so starting when I was about eight years old, every weekend we'd camp on Camino Island and clear property. And so for like a year and a half, we had one of those pop-up trailers, that, like the hard top. Yeah. Tr- yeah, Winnebago, not Winnebago, but um, Patch, he was called. Anyway, we camped in that thing year-round for a year and a half, and the winter was very, very cold. (laughs) So as we came around to the second winter, my mom said, you know, if we're going to keep doing this, why don't we find a little cabin so we can, um, 
you know, have a warm place to sleep at least after we're out all day, you know, doing our clearing and stuff. So they found a little house, really little house down in Elgin Bay area, little two bedroom thing. And um, so we started staying in that, which was really nice because we had a warm <laughs> place to stay. So come November, and we uh, had a family meeting and they announced that we were going to move to the little house on Camano Island. Uh, and we're like, what? And they're like, this is your last week of school and we're off. So I was in fifth grade, 10 years old, when we moved to Camano. Um, lived down in Elger Bay. And uh, at that time, all the schools were in Stanwood. So we rode the bus on very long bus routes. As a matter of fact, there were only three buses on the whole island that took all the kids K-12 to Stanwood, which is pretty hard to imagine. <laughs> um, and everybody went to, there was four schools. And every bus went to every school because there was a K-3 school, a 4-6 school, a 7-9 school. It was crazy. So I spent a lot of time on the buses growing up. So I graduated from Stanwood High School and had two goals in mind. One was I was never going to live on Camano Island. And number two was I wasn't going to be a teacher. <laughs> so um, that was how I left here was moving on. So I went to Washington State University and graduated in four years with a, a degree in elementary education with a minor in music. I had done a lot of music growing up, played the piano, um, did a lot of performing and um, choirs and drama and things. And so the arts were a big part of my life. And so I did a lot of music and theater in college and stuff. And so it just seemed the right thing to do. So let me pause you right there. So yeah. you said you went to Wazoo and you got an education degree. I did. What, what was the reason behind that then? That's a good question. Um, actually, I went to WSU on an um, Army ROTC scholarship. So my goal was to go into the Army as an officer. Um, but one of my brothers was already attending West Point, and after visiting him and seeing his graduation, I realized there was a big difference between his education as an Army officer and mine. And uh, at that point, things started kind of moving in a different direction in my life. And so um, I was getting really involved in some ministry things and was feeling like I wanted to be a youth pastor. Okay. And so uh, it seemed like education was a really good preparation for ministry and for working with people and that kind of stuff. And it was a degree. I mean, I had to get something to fall back on. I guess I've fallen. Anyway, um, <laughs> and then the music part just kind of got added on. It was like, well, you have to have a, a teaching major. And it was like... Hmm. So I flipped through the catalog and thought, well, I do music. So, so I ended up with this elementary ed music degree that I thought I'd never use. <laughs> um, I went right from um, WSU to Multnomah School of the Bible down in Portland, Oregon, and did a year of graduate work in Bible there okay. um, with the idea of wanting to be a youth pastor. And at the end of that time, um, Camino Chapel was ready to hire their first youth pastor. And I'd done a couple summers of work with them. And, and so I came back here to the island to live and, and work which was really good because at that time my stepdad had cancer and was um, not doing well. And I really wanted to be close to home and help my mom and stuff. And so he was, he uh, lived one a year after I moved back here, which was nice. I was here for that year to be with my mom. So I was here on the island. Remember, I wasn't going to be a teacher. I wasn't going to live in Camano, <laughs> but I'm living in Camano. I'm not a teacher. So I, uh, I lived here. I was uh, four years of ministry and had a great time, worked with Bill Wayland and, um, it's a time when the church was growing really fast, and it was just a lot of good stuff happening. And uh, I did a lot of music and drama with my youth group kids, and that's kind of I was, like the thing that I did with them, and we traveled and performed and things. And so I started thinking, you know, I, I, I think there's kind of a future for me here using drama and music with ministry-type things. So I thought, I'm going to see what I can do about that. Well, um, excuse me, where am I? Uh, so... Um, 
I made plans to go back to Seattle Pacific University, and I was able to use my graduate credit from Multnomah to get a master's degree. And they had a program I uh, could design my own thing. And so I did a master's of Christian ministries with an emphasis in dramatic arts. So it was the idea of using drama, uh, theater, and stuff for ministry. And so I, I did that, went down to Seattle um, and lived there. And my, in the back of my mind, what I really wanted was to uh, be able to work with a group called Taproot Theater Company, which is yeah, a, I've heard a of theater that. in North Seattle. Yeah. And um, so they were in residence at SPU. So I, when I went to SPU, I thought, great, they're right there. I can you know, rub shoulders with them, get to know them, maybe do some shows with them. And right before I went to SPU, they moved out. They left SPU and, and severed those ties. And I was like, great, here I am at SPU, and they're <laughs> gone. And well, after my first year at SPU... Uh, I got a letter from them, and it turns out they were looking to hire someone and uh, very specific needs and needed pretty much immediately for a, a long tour. And so I, would, I was able to get hired, and I worked. At, I toured with Taproot for a year and a half uh, in their road company doing shows in churches and schools. And it was a good experience, and the best part about the whole thing that I learned is I didn't want to live on the road, <laughs> and I didn't want to travel. Uh, it's a hard life. It's a really hard life. And... Um, it was a good experience. I learned a lot. I met some great people. But I, I finished that experience and kind of came back to Camano. I had no place to go, and, and uh, some friends offered me a free place to live, so I was back on Camano. And I was back actually on staff at Camano Chapel for a couple of years and in, a, in a, a position that really wasn't a fit for me. And so I found myself kind of, where you know, what am I doing here? And I was, was I 30, I guess, early 30s. And um, still single and still just kind of trying to figure out what was going on. And, and um, so I decided to do the, the, what made sense is I uh, formed my own company and started traveling, performing solo stuff. And like I said, I love life on the road, which didn't make sense. But anyway, I'm trying to make a living <laughs> uh, doing school assemblies and church programs and monologues and camps and things. And, and, uh, and it was it just you? It was just me, yeah. Okay. And so I would load my car with the equipment. I would go unload my car, do my show, load my car, come home, unload my car. I was exhausted moving equipment because I had a bunch of sound stuff and synthesizers, and it was crazy. And so I was um, discouraged and starving. and um, Well, not starving, but close to it. I was pretty <laughs> hungry. And um, Stanwood High School called me and said, uh, the drama teacher we've had here, which was my drama teacher who was a huge influence in my life, uh, he was retiring, and they were looking for someone to teach two hours a day. Would I be interested in doing that? And I was like, well, I guess two hours a day, you know, that's, that's okay. So I checked it out, and because I had a master's degree, I was able to get recertified as a teacher. And so I decided for two hours a day, I'm going to stay at high school. started in 1988, and I uh, taught two hours, and then I could go travel to my schools and churches and still do my other things. So I started to at least pay the bills. I wasn't starving. <laughs> and um, I got to direct two shows. And I had a great year. I like really liked it a lot. And I was like going, huh, that's, that's kind of good. And I kind of liked having a job. And I kind of <laughs> liked having, you know, paying the bills. So I went to the school and I said, hey, next year, if you have more time, I'd be interested in, you know, maybe teaching more than two hours. They said, nope, sorry, don't, know, don't need anything. I said, okay, great. So I started the second year, two hours. And about a month in, uh, I got a call from somebody and they said, hey, we're about to open this new school. It was when Twin City Elementary is brand new. And okay. um, so all the third, fourth, and fifth graders were at Church Creek at the time, and it was packed. It was just overflowing. There was not a single space anywhere. They, uh, they put portables in the high school parking lot for fifth graders. It was just insane how overcrowded they were. 
And so they were re- redoing some stuff and their accounts went full time. So they needed someone for a couple hours to teach the gifted program. Sure, I can do that. And then I taught a couple PE classes, a couple music classes. So it just kind of filled my day out. It was just like stuff. So I had a very strange, strange schedule. <laughs> High school drama, two hours, fourth and fifth grade gifted kids, and then fifth grade PE. It was just kind of weird. So I thought, okay, if I'm going to teach school, maybe I ought to like teach what I want to be teaching rather than kind of let, let them throw scraps at me. So I went to the middle school and I said, you know, you guys need drama as an elective. And they said, yeah, you're right. We do. So my third year teaching, <laughs> I was halftime at the high school, two hours, actually three hours then. And then I spent my afternoon at the middle school, Stanford Middle School. And that's when they had just one. So I taught music and a drama all day long and then traveled at night doing my other stuff still. So I was doing drama 24 seven, crazy. And, um, was burning out really fast and all that going, wow, this is like insane. So at one point, and I'm still single, I'm still wanting to be married, um, living on Camino, which at the time was not a great place for single guys to meet <laughs> girls. And anyway, not that it ever is a great place, but um, probably better, no, stop, edit that out. Anyway, yeah, so, <laughs> um, so at one point, I decided the thing to do was to, to leave Camino and go meet people elsewhere. And so I had this bright idea, and that was to go to Clown College with Ringling Brothers Circus and join the circus, and that'd be a good place to meet people. So I started to make plans <laughs> to um, join the circus <laughs> because, again, performing is in my blood, and I loved all that stuff, and I did a lot of clowning, and clown school is an awesome thing. And so I applied, and long story short, got rejected because I had a master's degree. I was too smart. They, they, <laughs> need, they needed people that were desperate that would be willing to put up with basically slave labor, and I, we won't get into that part of the story. But it was pretty sad. I read a book that was quite, wow. um, quite serious about the, the conditions they worked under, and I realized that's not for me. So uh, the good news is the, the day I got that rejection letter, I actually found my first house and uh, decided, okay, I'm going to buy a house. I, I'm done figure out where I'm going to live. I'm going to live in Camino Island. That's okay. I'm going to teach school. That's okay. So, I, you know, even though I didn't think at 17, 18, that was what I wanted to do, it seemed to be a pretty good fit for me. So, uh, so I bought a house and uh, I'm still teaching 24-7, drama, drama, drama. And then it hits me, okay, this is my fifth year. My degree's in elementary education. Okay, I trained, I taught, student taught third grade. I thought if I'm going to teach school long-term, maybe I ought to consider elementary rather than secondary. So I started talking to some people and decided to make the, the change that I said, you know, I'm going to see if I can get a job elementary the next year. And um, a fourth grade position was opening up and was offered to me. It was great. So meanwhile, at the same time, this beautiful lady moved to Camano Island named Lydia. And she's already been on your podcast, so you, you've heard her story. But uh, fortunately, she had moved here and... Um, a wonderful story short, we got married um, after a very quick relationship and romance. And we figured out we never went to a movie till after we were married. But anyway, um, <laughs> we basically knew each other about nine months and got married. So the day after school was out, we got married 27 years ago, last couple, few weeks ago. And, Congratulations. Um, thank you. And uh, the next fall, I went to fourth grade and everyone thought I had lost my mind. It's like you went high school, middle school drama to fourth grade. I'm like, well, yeah, why not? <laughs> it ended up being an excellent move. Um, really good for family life, really good for um, just lots of things. And I wasn't doing this high school plays, which was a lot of evenings out. And it was just a good, good choice for us. And so um, love that. And so 
thought, okay, I'll just teach fourth grade or, you know, whatever grade and just kind of move on from there. And so then we had our first child, Davis, and um, I'm still teaching fourth grade. So I did four years of fourth grade there at, at Church Creek. And then um, getting ready towards the next year, they were going to open uh, Cedar Home, a new school they're going to open, so the third elementary. And uh, one day I just had this funny thought of, well, they're probably looking for a music teacher. And I got a music background and um, I wasn't real crazy about the way I was seeing music being taught at the time. And I was noticing that the kids in my class weren't having very much fun. And so I went to the, the principal that was going to have that school, a guy I really liked, uh, Jeff Lofgren. And I said, you know, what are you looking for in a music teacher? And he said, well, I want my kids to be safe and I want them to have fun. And I said, well, I could do that. So I switched gears and opened up Cedar Home and became a music specialist and uh, had, you know, some experience in music years before as far as the teaching of it and stuff, but really no idea what I was doing. Um, <laughs> but I knew that music is her performing thing. And so I started a, a choir, started figuring out a way to get kids to want to sing together and, and have fun and tried to find fun ways to make kids want to do that. And, and, um, and they found that age, they just were sponges. They just soak it up. And we had some fun times when we'd get a bus and we'd go sing at rest homes and all sorts of stuff. And, and uh, for years, we sang the lights of Christmas. We'd go out and sing one night there. And um, it was just a lot of fun. And so I was um, an elementary music specialist, having a good time. So I think I did about three or f three, three years there at Cedar Home. And then they opened up the two schools on Camino, um, Atsaladi and El Bay. And the, the teacher that was supposed to teach Utsalati called me one day and said, and I was thinking, oh, I wish I could teach Utsalati because we live out there and our kids are going to go there and it'd be nice to teach where my kids go. So she called me and said, hey, want to switch schools? And I was like, <laughs> sure, why not? So after three years at, at Cedar Home, I reluctantly left there because um, I was so happy with, with that situation and the great people I worked with there. And uh, I came out and opened up Utsalati. So my second school to open, which is kind of nice, uh, same floor plan, which is kind of, we call it Deja School, because it's the same. <laughs> Actually, El Jubei, Atsaladi, and, and Cedar Room are all the same basic floor plan. So my wow. music rooms are all similar. Um, came out there, and I think I was out here <clears throat> eight years doing music. And while I was out here, both my kids were going through elementary school and just having a great time. Got to teach them first grade reading and, and music teacher. And again, we formed a choir and traveled with them and, you know, would do stuff and just had a really, really fun time doing all that. And then um, the gal that I'd switched jobs with at Cedar Home retired. And so I started getting these calls from some friends at Cedar Home saying, hey, why don't you come back to Cedar Home? Well, my kids were going to school in Stanwood at the middle school and high school. And I was thinking, that's a good idea to be back in town where my kids are. So I went back to Cedar Home to teach music again, left Atsalati reluctantly because I had lots of friends there and some good experiences. But started commuting back to Stanwood and taking my kids with me to school. And um, we all remember that fondly as a great time, um, spending that time in the car, taught both my kids how to drive, and just really, really enjoyed the, the time we had doing all that. So I spent the next, oh golly, about eight years or so. Sorry, the, my time's off. But about eight years doing that. Um, and then I started getting like, okay, I need a change. I, I love change. But not just, the, not just the school change, but the music change was starting to get a little bit on the dry side for me. It was the same, and I, was, I need to shake it up. So I asked my principal if I could go back into the classroom. And he's like, no, you can't go back to the classroom. You need to teach music. I'm like, no, I really need a change. And so after three years of saying I really would like a change, 
the opportunity came up to teach third grade. So um, about six years ago, I went back into the classroom, and I was teaching third grade, and um, I will say this, the classroom has changed so much since I taught fourth grade about 20 years before. Um, the requirements for uh, as far as what the state testing has required and, and all the all that stuff that um, I don't want to get started on that, all that. I'm just saying it's really changed the classroom. And um, it, I was teaching stuff to third graders that I had not taught fourth graders before because the requirements were so much stricter, which in some ways is good, I guess. But there wasn't a lot of fun. Anyway, I was doing third grade thinking, okay, I've made my choice. I'm just going to teach third grade, and that's, no, that's life. So I'm teaching third grade for three years at Cedar Home. And um, thinking, I had a great crew that my the teachers I worked with were awesome, and we just had some good stuff happening and great kids. And the last week of school, three years ago, I get this call saying, "Hey, we just found out we need a music teacher at at, at uh, Elgin Bay and at Salati halftime. Both, any chance you want to come back to music?" And I'm like, "You know, I don't think so, but um, thanks for calling. But um, well, can we just like get together and have a meeting and talk about it?" And I said, "Yeah, sure, I'll I'll talk about it, but I, you know, I'm not so sure." Well, then I talked to my wife, and we realized our daughter, our youngest, was graduated from high school, and so there was no need for me to still go to town uh, for teaching, or I mean, for being with the kids and stuff. And uh, at that point, my wife's parents moved into our house, so we had two uh, 90, 90 plus people, uh, about 90, living with us. And so it seemed like a good thing to come back closer to home. And so, boom, I'm back teaching music. <laughs> I'm at two schools now. I'm at Utsalati and, and, uh, and Elgin Bay. And very different schedule, being halftime at both. That's, that was a new thing to, uh, as far as sharing two schools. And um, one of the things that, that I kind of inherited was that because it was halftime, they were getting half as much um, experiences. They were, they were like, they got Veterans Day every other, every other year, and they got different things. And I thought, you know what, there needs, there needs to be some way that everybody can get everything you know, without killing myself. And so that's when the idea of fusion was born. The idea of fusing two schools together, fusing two half choirs together to make a big choir. And so I talked to the two principals. They were very supportive, very awesome, willing to try anything. And so we created fusion. So I, at one school, one week on Wednesdays, I have rehearsals with second, third, fourth, fifth graders for a half hour. And at the other school, the next week, I have rehearsal for a half hour. And then we put them both together and sing these concerts. And it's been a ton of fun. Um, been fun for the kids to, you know, um, be part of something bigger than they could be because their schools had gotten smaller here on the island. That's why it was only half time. Mm. And so there wasn't really enough kids to, to kind of have the big, um, big splash that's, that's fun to be part of. And so it was fun to put it all together. And so that's kind of where we started putting it together. So that's when Fusion got started. And then uh, that's when I, we got, that's the, the first year is when we got invited to come sing at the Christmas tree lighting here at the Commons. Okay. And um, it was kind of like, yeah, sure, why not? Let's try it. And we came down, and that was crazy. That first year it rained for that. <laughs> it was pouring. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we were all <laughs> under the cover there. But it was such a fun thing, and the kids had such a good time. And so that kind of became a fun tradition for us to, to be part of that Christmas tree lighting, which we've done these three years. So um, did I answer your question? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, that was great. I feel like we just got like a huge download of kind of like your whole life story. It, it is. It's kind of one big blob there. <laughs> 
That's awesome. So there was there's different thing points that you mentioned throughout there. Um so one of the things this is going way, way back. Sure. Um, but you mentioned that you guys had like a family meeting about coming to Kamano. Was that something that after when your stepdad came in that you guys kinda had like family meetings if something big no, was going on? No, or? no, we hardly that we didn't talk. Um, that was crazy to actually have a meeting. Um, my mom was Swedish, and I'm not sure what my stepdad was, but he talked less than she did. And so there wasn't a lot of talking in our house. <laughs> so having a family meeting was more like they sat us down to tell us we were moving is what the family meeting was. Okay. Um, my oldest brother was in ninth grade, so I remember he was not really happy. To, like That was a pretty strange time to be moving. But, um, but it was kind of like, you know, we're getting out of Seattle. And... Uh, so we came, and I think we're all glad in the end, I think. I know I am. <laughs> <laughs> it became your home. Yeah, well, it's been my home a long time. <laughs> Very cool. Okay, and then was it, is it just you and your older brother? Two, there's three, three of us, three, three brothers. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, and then, um, so then with, with the, um, this is actually kind of going back to Lydia's podcast a little bit, mm-hmm. but how much did you work with the theater group and stuff that, sh- you know, the, the performing performances that she was doing because her and the kiddos were doing yeah 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 um show and tell family projects yeah that was that was Lydia and I did that yeah we um when when we when she first moved here she her intent was to be here on the island for a year to get state residency then go to school at the UW and get a master's in theater and so because I was the high school drama teacher people would say oh you need to meet Rich and so she kept hearing my name because she was in theater and I was in theater and, and so um from the moment we met, we had that in common. We loved theater. Our, our first date was to see went to see Julius Caesar at the Rep. So, um, so early on, as we got married, we were performing together and writing stuff and doing banquets and things, and uh, wrote a couple of plays for our church and directed them and stuff. And and so we we had that interest. And then as our kids were little, um, we got connected with the Lights of Christmas, and for. Golly, about eight years we created theater for them, and so um, while Lydia's got babies at home and had not much time for anything else, she was writing some music and stuff, and we were writing shows and, and directing these productions. Um, we weren't necessarily in them; we'd kind of direct them, and then they'd run themselves, but they'd run out there. So we did a lot of theater there. So that kind of helped us kind of get our um, bearings working together, figuring out how to write together, how to create together. We would talk and talk and talk about ideas. We had a, a deal that in January we didn't talk about Christmas at all because we knew in February we'd start talking about the next Christmas. <laughs> and uh, so we were in the Christmas business there for about eight years. It was like, how can you do Christmas this year? You know, we did it the 50s. We did it, oh, we did it all kinds of ways. Anyway, um, so we'd done a lot of that. And then there came a time when we realized um, that that season was ending for us. And so we were doing more shows at, at our church, or we did a community theater thing years ago, kind of just like opened up the community. And um, we just started seeing that every time we did it, we were starting over. It's like we'd start over, we'd start over. So we thought, you know, we need to get organized here. And so we asked about 40 friends to come and join us, and people that knew us and believed in us and said, what do you see us doing? And um, it was interesting because I didn't expect the answer they gave us. They, at the end of the evening, they said, you guys need to start a nonprofit community theater. And we're like, no, no, that's not what we want to do. <laughs> we don't, I don't want to start a nonprofit. I don't want to run a nonprofit. I, but that's what it was like really clearly. It was like, yeah, that seems to be the right thing. And so we formed Show and Tell Family Projects together. We um, went through the process of creating a nonprofit. And I think it was eight years that we were in business there. And, and um, it was an awesome experience. Our kids were at that age growing up. We, we were wanting to 
really be connected with our kids. We wanted to make sure that as they went to middle school, high school, that they still um, would talk to their parents and stuff. <laughs> and so performing, it, we realized, was a, a, a way to do that. And both our kids are very talented. And so um, they kind of would invite their friends and we'd pick up other people and we just started doing shows. So we would write a lot of more original musicals and, and then we did a camp in the summer. And um, yeah, it was, it was a fun experience. It was really hard in the sense that um, I was working two full-time jobs a lot of the time. Wow. Uh, when we were in production, um, I would you know teach school till four o'clock and then I'd run next door to a church that gave us space and rehearse. And um, it, it was insane. <laughs> it paid the bills though. At the time, we really needed that extra money, and so um, it worked out well because we would contract with the nonprofit to direct shows for them, and, and uh, it, it was a good situation. And it was fun because we had people from like 10 different churches. We had half homeschool, half public school, and we didn't have all those lines weren't drawn. The, the kids all mingled. Um, it was very healthy. It was all, all our shows were family-friendly, G-rated, you know, and it's it's – it's hard sometimes to find entertainment for your family because you're not sure what you're going to get when you get there. Right. And so we really wanted to guarantee to people that they could bring their kids there and, and feel safe. And so um, that was just an awesome time and a great time for our kids growing up to be part of all that and, and learn a lot of leadership skills and performing skills. And um, it's fun to see how they both taken that on, not necessarily doing theater, but both musically, just doing some amazing stuff. So, yeah, so that was definitely something Lydia and I did together and, and uh, worked hard at. It was... Um, it was a, a a good good task, but it was um it was always worthwhile, but not always easy. Yeah, you know? but um, definitely the right thing. So yeah, it was a good season. And then the doors kind of closed on that too, and we were like, okay, we just kind of let it go because it was obvious that, that that season was over. It was like, well, let's see what's next. Yeah. So yeah, well, and that's something you know I'd done a little bit of theater, not performing, but as like stage crew stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And for stage crew, you don't have to get there to like pretty close to the end and then you have to be there for the weeks and stuff like that but like seeing like my sister did some plays um and then i knew you know being stage crew you get to know the actors and actresses and stuff and um you know you got to see like it starts months and months before anything and then it's every day like it's just day in day out and they're working so hard and you know especially what the theater i worked with it wasn't like a paid theater it was like there was a couple paid people but most of them were just volunteering to do it and then you know wanting to do it but enjoying it but um that's it is it's a full-time job yeah and we we approached it really differently um because of a lot of our experiences growing up and and performing with other groups and stuff we said you know we want to make the process healthy because oftentimes in theater they're kind of like you know it doesn't really matter if it hurts right now because in the end you're you're gonna be glad or it doesn't really matter that I hurt your feelings right now or that I really put you down because it's going to make you better. And we said, you know what? We don't have to be that way. We can treat people kindly. We can be respectful. We can direct people without um, putting them down. Mm-hmm. You know, we can put them, we can help them to grow and, and to do more than they could on their own without being demeaning. And so that was our philosophy from the beginning is to make it a healthy, family-friendly thing. So our rehearsals, we always like, they were like two hours long and we stopped. When it was over, we stopped. We said, you know what? We said, we're going to go till 8.30 and 8.30, if we're not done, oh well. We had some tech rehearsals and stuff. We didn't get through the whole show. It was like, well, we're, we're out of time um, because <laughs> we really wanted to respect families and, mm-hmm. and really wanted to honor that and honored, you know, we didn't want to say, well, it, the show must go on. You know, the process isn't important. It's the product. It was like, no, we felt that if the process was healthy, 
the product will be good. And, yeah. and we found that true. That, and we had happier casts. We had people that enjoyed performing with us because they knew we weren't going to kill them. We got into the habit of taking the last night off before a show opened. And everyone's like, you can't do that. It's your final dress. It's like, no. We couldn't use the theater one year is what happened. They, they scheduled something else. And so we took the night off and was like, that was the best thing we ever did. Everyone was rested and not tired of each other. And so we started taking the night before our opening off and loving it. And, and I suggest that to a director who was in a show recently. And she's like, you can't do that. I'm like, well, it worked for us. <laughs> I guess it won't work here. It worked there. Anyway, um, so we really, really worked hard at, at being different and yeah. being healthy. And, and it, it uh, paid off. We have a lot of friends because of that um, experience as opposed to people that are going, whoa, I won't do that again. Right. You know? But we also had people that would leave our shows to go to theater elsewhere saying, oh, my goodness, it's different. And we, we finally got to say, you know, just so you know, it's not always like this. Um, you know, it can, it can get pretty savage out there. So um, you have to be careful. Yeah. You have to be careful where you go. Well, it is, it is one of those, like, very, like, I don't know, cutthroat businesses. But, like, it, it's, it's, it has to be, like, if, when you get into, the, like, the competitive side, it's the best of the best. And if you're just a little bit below, I mean, they cut you off at the knees and it's pretty yeah. brutal. Yeah, um, it could be real brutal. So, and then if there's ever drama between cast members, I remember, yeah. like, we didn't usually have major stuff, but if there's any, like, minor, like, these two people don't really like each other, but they're supposed to be opposite of each other, right? Right. And you're just like, I don't know how this is going to work. Yeah. Well, and we had some pretty large casts because we felt if, if there was, um, if someone had some potential and some interest and there wasn't a reason why we couldn't use them, I mean, once in a while they weren't re ready maturity-wise, we would find a place for them. And so we would have these choruses and then we'd have kind of like a chorus chorus, but we'd have a place where everybody could be involved. So like, I think our biggest show had a cast of a hundred. That's crazy. It was insane. <laughs> but, um, but it was fun because we let people find that place that, you know, whatever, whatever time they had and experience they had, we were able to kind of turn that into something, hopefully, um, an experience for them that was, you know, helpful to them. So, so it was crazy. We, we had a friend, a theater friend help us with auditions one night and we got through with all the auditions and we we're talking about different people and we we're saying, well, we need to cast this person because of this and we need to cast that person because of that. And, and she finally said, you know, you're not doing theater here. You're doing social work. <laughs> and we thought, you know what we are, we, we are using theater as a tool of, of educating and, and yeah. encouraging people. And I, I had to stop and say, well, wait a minute, that's what my master's degree is in. Oh yeah. That, that was what that was 30 years ago. I was like, <laughs> oh, so I realized show and tell really was the thing I'd prepared for all those years ago, which was really cool. It was kind of like, okay, this is, this is sweet that um, it, all those, those funny paths that people always thought I was on such a um, <clears throat> weird path and so um, like lost and out of control and like, what, do you know where you're going? It's, but as I look back, that path is just take me right to where I am and who I am and it's good. I like it. I, I like living on Camino. I like teaching. So there you go. It's like green eggs and ham, right? Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, I do find, um, you know, when we, uh, my wife and I did a lot of dancing um, when we were dating and we, we continue after married, but then with kids, it gets a lot more difficult to yeah. get the night out. But, um, but it was something that, it, like, both of us started dancing when we were in, like, probably, like, 14, 15 years old. Mm. Um, and it does, like, the arts have a funny way of, you know, the maths and the sciences teach you the facts and how to think through these things. And, but, like, I feel like the arts a lot of times can help you learn to learn because mm -hmm. um, you start seeing things in new ways. And it combines both aspects of the data and the facts 
and then you get to blend yourself into it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it connects yeah. to the heart. You know, you get yeah. you can spend a lot of time connecting the mind, but if you connect to the heart, music, drama, they they just really get right to it. So yeah, and it's a it's a great way to build community when you perform together. Um, it's what a great way to you know, to trust people to be on stage and, and looking at someone saying, "I sure hope you're going to say the line that you're supposed to say right now," because <laughs> if you don't, I don't know what to do. But you know, you just trust them and, and you get through it together, and you're like, "This is this is a great way to to learn how to you know work together and stuff." So yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, very cool. Um, okay, and then one of the things I wanted to touch back on, and you don't have to go super deep if you don't want to, but I'm just Good. I am a little curious. Um, you mentioned that you went looked at clown college first of mm-hmm. all what kind of made you kind of look at that and think about that yeah and then yeah. what's kind of the background there yeah um like i said i always performed and in college i actually um did mime and which is kind of a joke in the family here but yes i'm a trained mime um white face and all and uh, i actually once it clicked with me i was i did some had some good experience with that and have done several things through the years and taught stuff a lot and I juggled and I did clowning I created a couple clown characters and stuff and I just loved although I did have a traumatic experience as a child with the clown and it was fearful of them until I was about 10 years old see just, I'm still afraid of them so I haven't yeah well I yet. got but it's helped me be a better clown because I'm sensitive I don't I don't get in kids faces like the one did in mine so that helped me but I just um just kind of done all those skills and stuff. And then I started hearing about this clown college and tremendous training. It was just insane training and juggling and unicycling and creating a character and on and on. And it's totally free. It was down in Florida. It was like an eight week program and it was totally free. But at the end, you, uh, your final performance was an audition for the circus. And if they offered you a part, you had to tour for two years with the circus to pay back this free thing. Well, there was a guy named Bill Irwin. He's a performer back years ago that was amazing he did a lot of physical comedy a lot of pantomime stuff and it turns out that he was kind of my idol at the time and it turns out he had gone to clown college and i started thinking well if he went to clown college you know maybe i should go to clown college well i was looking for something to do one summer when i was kind of in the midst of all that drama stuff and i thought about doing like a summer theater like you know someplace go to summer stock and i thought oh i know i'll just go to clown college for the summer and then come back and teach school so i wrote to them to get the information, found out it was only in the fall. So it was like, oh, shoot, if I'm going to do it, I have to take a year off school and hope I don't get picked for the circus and stuff. I thought, you know, my options here weren't that great. I thought, I'll at least try. Mm-hmm. Well, I get this application. You said I have to get into too much detail. So anyway. No, you're good, you're good. Um, get this application, and the first thing they, they wanted, it was like eight pages of t- typing. It was insane, all the questions they asked. Um, mostly about drugs and alcohol and how you feel about performing with people who are high and drunk, which was kind of disconcerting. But anyway, um, <laughs> but one of the things they wanted was three pictures, full-length pictures of me in swimwear. And I was like, swimwear? Me? At the time, I was, I was overweight. I'll just flat put it. I was a lot heavier than I ever wanted. It's certainly not enough to show anybody a picture of me in swimwear. <laughs> so um, I talked to a friend of mine who... Uh, who Agreed that my nutrition was horrible. Again, I was still a bachelor, right? <laughs> and so she gave me some advice on how to eat better and stuff. And I started walking. And every day I would walk for like an hour. And I had this route I did. And it was really good because I lost weight and I got, I got much healthier. But I also mentally got healthier. Mm. And as I walked, I started kind of reevaluating my decision and what I was doing and why I was doing it. And then I read that book I was alluded to about life on the road with the circus and I made my own decision. I said, you know, even if they offered it to me, I probably wouldn't do it because 
um, it's, it's not a healthy choice. It's not. And so the day I got that rejection letter, I wasn't disappointed. I was relieved because I, I pretty much had decided it wasn't a good thing, but the training was still in the back of my mind. Like, Oh, it was such good training, such good experience. But if I had gone, I wouldn't be here to meet Lydia. So it's a good thing I didn't do it. So yeah, they've since closed. They don't have it anymore, which is a shame because it's gone. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, yeah. That's really interesting. It, there's a lot of, um, in fact, uh, a couple podcasts ago now um, was the uh, with uh, Hope Unlimited, and they they mm. work with abolishing modern day slavery and stuff right, like that. Yeah. Um, but also not just with the slave trade. Um, there's like the sex trafficking stuff like that, but also like the um, the slavery of you know paying below minimum wage and yeah, things like that, yeah. of getting these people in indentured uh, servitude, basically. Yeah, yeah. And, um, well, at that time, Ringling Brothers was the circus in the world. That was the one that everybody worldwide wanted to be in. And so all these foreign acts would you know come and audition, and they would be paranoid because if they lost their job with that circus, where were they going to go? Yeah. You know, because they'd reach the top, whatever. And so there's uh, the stories, the book's called Ringmaster, if you ever want a good read, but um, Ringmaster, yeah, this guy traveled for a season as a ringmaster, but um, it was um, eye-opening, the what people would go through to, to try to keep that job that basically was, I mean, they paid very little, and then you paid back to to live. I mean, it's, yeah, anyway, it was crazy. Mm. It's really crazy. Yeah. And all they required was a high school education, and I had a master's degree, so I was overeducated for sure. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, okay. And then as far as, like, when you were going in and out, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've taught a lot way. of places. <laughs> but what does that... What did that kind of feel like? Every time you started at a new school, did you feel like you were starting over again? Or do you feel like it was a new... Starting something new? Um, starting over in a good way in that I could kind of set new boundaries and new rules. Cause uh, in the beginning I'd like, I just get, get myself so strewn out with promises to kids and, and different things. And it's like going, Oh my goodness, how am I going to keep that going? You know, I, my first school, every concert, we got a new t-shirt, you know, so twice a year they were buying t-shirts and I was, you know, going through the whole thing, ordering t-shirts and it was like, it was just crazy. So then I got to the point of, well, wait a minute, if I use the same t-shirt year after year, they can reuse the shirts, which helps families. It's a little easier, whatever, and that's like, duh, you know. So, uh, so those things I would learn from my mistakes or learn from things and and kind of improve on it. So, um, and I I love teaching because every year is a new start. Every fall, I get to start at square one and say, okay, what am I going to do differently than last year? What worked last year? What didn't work? How can I improve it? How can I better reach my kids? And changing school, same thing. Just gave me a chance to kind of retool it and think, okay, what can I do differently? Um, I'm, I'm much older than I used to be, so I have to think about my energy and, and that kind of stuff, you know, so it's been good as I moved around to be able to kind of, um, keep things working for, for who I am, you know, cause I've changed a lot too in the last 30 years. So, yeah. And then when you returned back to Cedar home elementary, like, mm-hmm. did you get your same office, same? Yeah. I went back to music and yeah. Um, the kids were different, but most of the staff was still there and it was like going home. It was really fun. Um, yeah, it was a good time. A lot, lot of good people there. And, yeah. you know, all the schools I teach at, there's good people everywhere. And it's fun because when we have, like, an all-district meeting, I see people that I've taught with all through the years from all the different buildings. And um, it's fun to just have all those memories with people. And there's a lot of really good teachers around here. Yeah. Really good. Well, and I, I do think, um, you know, I've, I've interviewed uh, George, George Colby, who's the mm. leader of the FBLA yeah. group at Stanwood High. And um, 
and, and, and talking with a lot of the other teachers and stuff in this area, just um, every time I start talking with teachers and stuff, it's to me, it's very much, t- at least it seems like a vocational calling, the people that are in teaching and teaching in elementary schools or high schools or, or wherever, because it's not necessarily like a high paying job. Right. And you, you end up working a lot of hours during your time. And now you get summers off, but a lot of people end up working summer jobs. So they don't really yeah. end up the summer off. And then, um, you know, you get, you have to deal with kids on a regular basis. And sometimes you get great classes and sometimes you get rough classes. But, um, but regardless of what class they get, it seems their hearts always go out to those kids and they always care about them. And, um, yeah, I always have such a high respect for those teachers that, that do that day in, day out. And they have to work in a system that, doesn't always benefit them in helping and reaching out to those kids. Yeah, you know, if you're doing, if you're in teaching for the money, you're you made a big mistake. <laughs> um, not that you can't make a living, but it, you you definitely have to have that calling. You definitely have to have a a a, a, re, a reason to be there that's beyond just it's a job because it's a hard job. I mean, you're you are making thousands of decisions every day. I mean, and like in my job, every half hour I have thirty new kids in my room. You know, so in the in the midst of a week I'll see seven hundred different kids, you know, and they all have names, you know, and, and it's important to know kids' names. And I try really hard to, to learn them and use them, but it's something I have to work out because it's but it's important that, that you when you look them in the eye and call them by name, it's like, oh, you know me, as opposed to, hey kid, you 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 know, a little yeah. whatever, you know. Um it, it's important, you know, and, and uh, so every year I have to say, okay, I, I this year, this is what I'm gonna do. This is this is what I'm supposed to be. Um, and, and it's been a good, it's been a good ride. I, um, yeah, I've had, I've had some good experiences and I've had some hard, hard ones. I've had some hard classes. Um, I had some years easier than others, but you know, that's the nature of it. You know, every year is different. Kids are different. You know? Yeah. Well, and I found, um, I've, I haven't done anything like actual teaching, but I've done like helped out in like things like Awana and, uh, uh, you know, I've taken li- different leadership roles within whether it's churches or um, groups and stuff. And it is, it's interesting because, you know, that, that kid that day one, they start pushing your buttons and you're just like, how am I going to deal with this? Um, and by the end of it, you're, a lot of times that's the kid you have the connection with at mm-hmm. the very end. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's just, you know, all kids are different and they all have come from different backgrounds. And um, so. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. I'm sorry. Oh, that's fine. Um very cool. So, um, all right. Well, I like to end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. Okay. So the first one is, do you have a lesser known or favorite location on Camino Island that you like to hang out? Oh, you know, we live in the Brentwood area, not in Brentwood, but next to it. But at the top of Brentwood, which is, I guess, private road, um, there's a loop that we walk and we take my mother-in-law who's 94 every day when it's sunny, we take her for a walk. But on the West side, we see the Cascades and Mount Baker and then we turn our, just literally turn, and we're looking at the, at the um, Olympics and Skagit Bay and the, over towards um, Oak Harbor. The view is just phenomenal from up there. So that's one of my favorite places to walk and kind of be, um, not necessarily a public place as far as like a beach or something like that. Iverson Beach, though, is my favorite beach on Camino. I'm so glad we have Iverson Beach because that's been a great, great place to take our kids and stuff. Um, and my new one is Barnum Point. Yeah, I, I I want to spend more time there, but that is really cool what they're doing up there and some beautiful trails and things. So yeah, yeah, they've done a great job there. Mm-hmm. Up there, pretend you have a friend coming from out of town. What would the first day look like here? 
That's funny because usually we take people to Seattle or to <laughs> Lacan or something like that. Well, that um, works. The second day, no, we'd take them to Iverson Beach for sure if we could, yeah. um, possibly the state park. Um, um, yeah, those, those are probably two places. All right. Who is an interesting or fascinating person in this community that I should interview next? Have you interviewed Bill Wayland? Uh, no, I haven't. Oh, golly. That's, he's a great mentor in my life. That um, he's, he's amazing. I tell you, an interesting and fascinating person. My mother-in-law at 94 is fascinating, but she's not necessarily from here. She's lived here for 24 years, but she's Southern. Okay. And she is, she is a stitch. But, um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> if you want a Southern view of Camino Island, you can invite her. Yeah, yeah. that would be great. All right. And lastly, if you could have a message on a billboard on Kamenu Island, uh, right as you're driving on the island, what would it say? Hmm. Well, I'd probably welcome, welcome, um, hope you find some treasure here because there's lots of, lots of cool stuff, but you got to be willing to look around for it. It's not so easy to find sometimes, but um, yeah, I'd definitely say welcome. You know, through the years, we've all come here from someplace else, and yeah. um, that's important that, we, in, that everybody have that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's something that's neat about Camino and the people that come and visit here first day um, that have never been here before. <clears throat> they they drive onto the island, and a lot of times their first question is like, all right, we're on an island. Where do we go to the beach? Because most of our beaches are not as cut and dry as like you yeah. just drive up, and it's like the yeah. beach. Because yeah. you drive up to one place, and it's like private. You yeah. go, yeah. okay, can't go there. Go somewhere else. It's private. So. Um, well, even Iverson Beach, trying to tell people how to get to Iverson. Yeah. And they're like, you do what? You do, and then you walk over this berm, and then you'll see the beach. And then you walk over the logs. And I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a journey to get there. But when you get there, it's a great beach. But it's not like the state park. You just drive up and park on the beach. and yep. you know. So, yeah, it is a, unique in that way. Yeah, very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. You're very welcome. Thank you for inviting me. All right. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Rich Crouch for joining me on the podcast today, and thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to kamenocommons.com slash EP56. That's kamenocommons.com slash EP56. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.